One of my, uh, one of my favorite um, books, kind of series of books, um, is uh, the epic uh, trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. And uh, in, in, this, uh, in, in The Lord of the Rings, the middle book, The Two Towers, um, there's, there's a moment where, where these, these group of nine heroes, they've been on this quest. And, and the leader of the group, the wizard Gandalf, um, has fallen into a deep pit and is seemingly dead and gone. And, and the rest of the group have to figure out how they can move on without um, Gandalf with them. Um, and the group continues on, but they end up getting split up um, in, in a battle. And, and three of the group um, end up going after these other two who had been captured. And, and as they're trying to track these, these other two who have been captured, they, they travel to a forest. Uh, that, that, but this forest is close to another wizard's tower, the evil wizard, Saruman. And so as they're walking through the forest, they realize that, that someone else is in the forest with them. And they suspect, knowing where they are, that it's probably Saruman. It's this evil wizard. And so they're, they're, they're on their lookout. And, and, and finally, this figure approaches them. He encounters them. He begins to speak with them. But his face is hidden. And then he throws off his hood and gray cloak, revealing this white, shining garments underneath. Here's an image from the movies. Maybe some of you have seen those movies, The Lord of the Rings. And, and in the book, Tolkien writes this, they all gazed at him. Between wonder, joy, and fear, they stood and found no words to say. At last, Aragorn, the, uh, the Aragorn he's the, 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 the soon-to-be king, uh, stirred. Gandalf, he said, beyond all hope, you return to us in our need. What veil was over my sight? Gandalf. It wasn't Saruman. It was Gandalf, the one that they least expected. They didn't recognize Gandalf at first, primarily because they thought he was dead. They thought he was gone. They expected Saruman in that forest, but instead they were encountered by Gandalf, alive and transformed. Today is Easter Sunday, the day when we celebrate that Jesus, who truly died, as we looked at a couple days ago on Good Friday, who, who died on a Roman cross, was executed, was buried, laid in a tomb, a stone was rolled in front of it, that this Jesus, who had died and was buried, rose to new life, that the grave could not hold him, and it is such a familiar story to us, I think, that, that many of us, we can forget how shocking and surprising this was to the people who actually witnessed it, to the people who actually saw this risen Jesus encounter them. They were just as surprised as the group of three in the Lord of the Rings when they saw Gandalf standing before them, who they assumed was dead and gone. They didn't recognize Gandalf at first. And some of Jesus' followers didn't recognize Jesus either right away, even when he approached them, as we're going to see in the text that I'm going to read in just a moment. In fact, to them, he was the last person they would have expected to see. But Jesus was alive. And Jesus wanted to encounter his followers after he had risen from the dead. During this, the season of Lent, the, the season that we've been uh, going through approaching Good Friday and Easter, I have been preaching through a sermon series called Encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. As we've looked at moments where Jesus encountered different individuals in, in John's Gospel. Well, today on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at 
one more of those encounters with Jesus, but this time it is an encounter with him after he was raised from the dead. We're going to look at the risen Jesus encounter with Mary Magdalene. My sermon title today is Encountered by the Risen Jesus. We're going to look at how it is that that this risen Jesus encounters Mary um, and how he actually does something very similar with us because he is risen and he is alive today and he encounters us today as well. So our text today is from John chapter 20. We'll be reading verses 10 through 18. John chapter 20 beginning with verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is talking about Peter and John who had run to the tomb and saw that it was empty. They went back, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are alive, that you are here even today, risen and alive in our midst And we pray, Lord, that as we study your word, as we hear the words that you proclaim to Mary, that you would speak those words to us, that you would encounter us today. Speak into whatever situation we are going through as the risen Lord. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you may want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we look at how it is that Jesus encounters Mary in this passage, I want to start by actually looking at Mary's situation before this encounter. Um, And it's a situation that is actually very similar to our situation as well. So let's start by looking at Mary's and our situation. Where was Mary as she enters into the text here today? She was crushed. She had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the promised one who was going to save the people of Israel. She had put all of her hope in him, but then he was gone. He was dead. He was lying in this tomb. And and so she decides early on Sunday morning to go to visit the tomb. But when she arrived, she discovered that the stone was rolled away, that his body wasn't there. And, And her first thought was that someone had stolen Jesus' body. 
And it was devastating enough to deal with his brutal death, her, her one that she loved, that he was dead and gone. But now this, that, that someone may have taken his body. And so in verse 11, we read, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. The Greek word that is used here means loud, unrestrained weeping. Mary was broken. She was grieving. She was disappointed. She was lost. Can you relate to Mary? On a day like today, Easter Sunday, we often feel like we are supposed to be filled with joy, singing happy songs with big smiles on our faces. And, and maybe you are feeling that today. Maybe, I mean, it is great, right, to be able to do that together on this day. But I also recognize that, that maybe some of you are not. Maybe you're actually grieving right now. Maybe you're grieving a, a loss that has happened in your life. Maybe you are feeling disappointed, maybe disillusioned, like, like Mary was. That Maybe as you think about where you're at, things haven't really turned out the way that you thought they were going to turn out. Maybe you, you kind of feel like you should be happy today, and, and you're trying to put on a happy face, and maybe you're, you're feeling good right now, but, but, but deep inside, there's sort of this, this brokenness. Maybe you feel kind of lost a little bit right now. And if that's you, you're not alone. Because Mary felt that way on the first Easter. And if we're honest, we all feel that way, at least from time to time, don't we? And sometimes more than just occasionally. So when we do, when we are in that place, maybe identifying like Mary was, we are invited to come to the empty tomb with our grief, with our disappointment, with our brokenness. We are invited to come as we are, not pretending to be something that we're not, because here's the good news, that Jesus wants to encounter us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sadness. Maybe you're sitting here today, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, I'm not sure that I believe all this resurrection stuff. You know, I wish it was true, but it's hard to believe that, that a dead man actually rose from the dead. Maybe you're struggling with doubt or you're here today because someone dragged you here today on Easter Sunday, or maybe you grew up in church and, and, and you, maybe you believed at one point, but now you're, you're not so sure. And if that's you, you're not alone either because Mary felt doubt on that first Easter too. While she was weeping, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels sitting where Jesus' body had been. Verse 13, we read, They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And the implication of their question here is that there wasn't a need for crying because Jesus had risen from the dead, that, that he was no longer dead. He was alive. And you might think that, it, that hearing that from these angels, that Mary would respond with faith. I mean, she just saw two angels inviting her to see the situation as a reason to rejoice then to cry. Would she ask them what had happened to Jesus? Would, would she start to believe that, that he had risen from the dead? Well, no, she doesn't right away. Instead, she continues to assume that, that someone must have stolen Jesus' body. And so verse 13 continues, They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She can't get past her grief. 
She can't see that there is another possibility that, that even with two angels standing in front of her, she still can't fully believe what's happened. Mary sees, but she doesn't believe at first. But that doesn't prevent Jesus from encountering her. It doesn't disqualify her. Jesus doesn't wait for her to start believing first and then encounter her. He comes near to her in her doubt. And he does the same with us. So we can be honest about our doubts. Because Jesus wants to come near to us even in the midst of them. So how does the risen Jesus do that? How does he encounter Mary in her grief? Mary in her doubt? How does the resurrection impact Mary's situation and our situation when we are grieving, when we are disappointed, when we are doubting? Well, let's look at next the impact of the resurrection. And in our text, we see three ways that Jesus' resurrection impacts Mary's and our lives. The first thing we see is that because of the resurrection, Jesus encounters us as a living person. He encounters us as a living person. Mary went to the tomb to see what? A dead body. She was expecting to see a dead body. And when it wasn't there, she assumed someone must have taken it because it was a dead body. But the body wasn't in the tomb because the body was no longer dead. The body was alive. The body had been raised. Jesus' dead body had been raised to new life. And now he was a living, resurrected person. And that living person encounters Mary. In verse 14, we read, At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus comes near to Mary. He doesn't wait for her to get cleaned up, to to stop crying, to start believing first. No, he takes the initiative and he comes to her into her messy, doubting, disillusioned reality. He comes to her place of need in order to call her out of it. But even with Jesus there in the flesh, standing in front of her, right? He is alive. He's standing in front of her. Mary still couldn't see him. Right? Verse 15 says, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I don't know if Jesus was wearing some overalls and carrying a, you know, a shovel or something like that. But no, no, just, just kidding. But somehow she, she sees him and she's, again, she can't imagine that this could be Jesus, right? She thinks it must be the gardener who's come to, to garden here in, in, by, by this tomb and she is so wrapped up in, in her own view of things that, that she can't imagine that the person speaking to her could possibly be Jesus. But he was. There he was, a living person encountering her, speaking to her. Does Jesus encounter us as a living person today? He doesn't encounter us as, as a physical human being whom we can see with our eyes like Mary did. And, and that can make it harder to believe that he is a living person. But 40 days after the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus ascended into heaven, which does not mean that he's now living somewhere up in the clouds. But, but what it means is that he is no longer limited by time and space in how he relates to us. 
that he can now be spiritually present with us wherever we are. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says to his followers, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So in a, in a mysterious but very real sense, Jesus is a living person who can be with us, who can encounter us. And the primary way that, that Jesus does this is through his word, is through the Bible, as he speaks to us through it, as it is a living word that Jesus himself speaks through. He can also encounter us through the body, through his church, through, through his arms and his feet, as, 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 as he uses one another sometimes to encounter us. He can encounter us through prayer as we spend moments communing with him, inviting him to speak to us as we speak to him, or, or he can encounter us through the call of the Holy Spirit, the inner presence of Jesus within us. And just like with Mary, Jesus desires to encounter us in the midst of our grief. He wants to encounter us in the midst of our disappointment, in the midst of our doubt. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together. He takes the initiative. And because, so because of the resurrection, Jesus is a living person who can meet us in the midst of whatever we are going through. But just like Mary, there are times when he's there and we don't recognize him right away. Mary thought he was the gardener. I think there are, there are some times where we get so caught up in our own view of things, that, that we miss Jesus. We don't see him there. Sometimes we're, we're so caught up in the busyness of life or so focused on our own grief or disappointment or our doubts or our guilt that we don't see Jesus even though he's right there with us. He's, he's wanting to come near to us. But Jesus is so patient and so gracious with Mary and with us, even though she doesn't get him, she doesn't recognize him. Jesus, what does he do to get her attention finally? He speaks her name. Verse 16, we read, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. When Jesus says her name, suddenly she knows who he is. He, he speaks to her in a personal way. And then Mary realizes that Jesus truly was alive, and that changed everything for her. Friends who are gathered here, Jesus knows your name. He knows your name, just like he knows Mary's. He knows your situation. He knows what you're feeling deep inside. He knows your grief, your disappointment, your anger, your, your doubts, your fears, your guilt, your shame. He knows all of it. And he gently calls you by name in the midst of it, revealing himself to you. In John 10, Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd. And in John 10, 3, he says of the good shepherd, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus is the shepherd who knows your name and who calls you to follow him and leads you out of whatever you may be stuck in just like he did with Mary. But how does he do that? How does he, he, he he's, he's living, he's, he knows us, he knows our situation, but how does he actually lead us out of this place? How does he lead Mary out of this place? Well, that brings to the, to the second thing that we see in this passage for how the resurrection impacts our life. 
which is that because of the resurrection, Jesus has restored our relationship with God the Father. When Mary recognizes Jesus, he tells her that he has a message for her to give to the disciples. And so in verse 17, he says, Go to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now, there are two really interesting things and significant things in what Jesus says here. The first is that he calls the disciples brothers. In John's gospel, this is the first time that Jesus does this. He's never, he doesn't call them brothers before this moment where he tells Mary to go tell my brothers. And then he says to, to, to them that I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And again, in the Gospel of John, this is the very first time that Jesus refers to God as your father, as your God. He says, my father, throughout this gospel. He says, the father, throughout this gospel. But only here does he refer to God as your father, the father of the disciples. And so these th two things are actually intertwined, that because Jesus is, that, that because God is, is Jesus' father, and now Jesus says that he is the father of the disciples. Guess what that makes them? Brothers. They now have the same father, right? Because he is now your father. We are now brothers. Now, why is this significant? Well, in one sense, God is the father of all humanity. Right? Because he created all of us. He is the creator. And he created us to find our fulfillment in him. But we are children who have turned our backs on our father. We have chosen to, to center our lives on things other than him. You know, some of us, the way that we do that is we pursue money or success or power to find fulfillment. We, we think that if we can just get enough of, of this for ourselves, then maybe we'll feel satisfied. We'll feel fulfilled. Others, we try to find fulfillment in, in a particular relationship. That We hope that if this one person, maybe they will give me that sense of fulfillment or satisfaction. Or, or we try to find it in approval from people. But whenever we do this, we are actually rebelling against our Father, who alone is able to fulfill us. And so the truth is that, that the Bible proclaims that we are actually rebellious children, that we turn away from our Father, and that our rebellion actually creates the separation from our Father, and that we are in danger of being separated from him for all of eternity. But here's the good news. God, he wanted to restore that relationship. He wanted to bring his children back to himself. And so the Father sent his true and perfect son, Jesus, in order to restore this relationship with all of us rebellious children. And so we saw this on Friday night, that Jesus, the perfect, obedient son of the father, gave up his life when he died on the cross. And why did he do that? So that we could have life. He experienced separation from the Father as he cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? So that we could be brought back into relationship with our Father. Jesus was stepping into our place as, as our substitute, taking the punishment for our rebellion, bridging the gap between us and God. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was the confirmation that he had accomplished that restoration. That he was vindicated as the true son of the father who has now brought us into a new restored relationship with the father as well. And so when Jesus comes to Mary and says, tell the disciples 
I'm returning to my father and your father. He's announcing to them that they now have a restored relationship with the father. That God is now their father in a, in a way that, that he wasn't fully before the death and resurrection. Because now Jesus had bridged the gap for them and for us. For him to be our father. Because Jesus has paid the price for our sin. So the same thing goes for Mary. And the same thing goes for all of us. That Jesus has accomplished this for you as well. That Jesus died and rose again so that you can be restored to the Father. So that Jesus cannot just be God, that, 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 that God cannot just be God the Father, but that he can be your Father. That he can be your God. And that makes all the difference in the world when we're facing the things that we've been talking about. Like grief from a loss or disappointment from unmet expectations or doubt or fear or guilt. Because we may experience all these things in this life, but they are not the final word. The final word is that God is our father and he will take care of us. In Romans 8, 31 to 32, the apostle Paul writes, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The father who loved us enough to, to send his own son to save us, who we now have a restored relationship with, how will he not also graciously give us what we need? If he is for us, which is what Jesus has proclaimed, right? That he is your father, he is for you, then who can be against us? And so he will lead us through grief, showing us that the death itself has been defeated in Jesus' resurrection. So even while we grieve, we have hope on the other side of that. He will lead us through disappointment, showing us that the plans he has for us are even better than our unmet expectations. And he will lead us through doubt, giving us what we need in order to believe. And he will proclaim that our sins are forgiven freeing us from guilt, freeing us from shame. He will lead us through whatever circumstances we are facing so that we can say along with Mary, I have seen the Lord. And that leads us to the third and final way that the resurrection impacts our lives. Because the power of the resurrection is not meant to be kept to ourselves. The final thing we see is that Jesus sends us to proclaim the resurrection to others. When Mary recognizes that Jesus is alive, her immediate response is she wants to hold on to him. She wants to cling to him and say, I'm never letting you go again, Jesus. And we can understand that. But Jesus says to her in verse 17, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Another way of saying do not hold on to me is don't cling to me, Mary. I'll give you a hug, but, but, but I, I need you to, to let me go for a moment because Jesus says I have to return to the Father. I have to ascend so that I can be present with you and all believers at all times. That's why I need to go, Mary, so that I will be present with you wherever you are. As we talked about early, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But there's another reason that Mary must not cling to Jesus. Because he also tells her, go instead 
to my brothers and tell them what we just talked about. Mary, Jesus sends Mary to proclaim the resurrection to the disciples. It is good that is, it is news that is too good not to share with others. And like we talked about, Jesus tell, wants her to tell them that, that he is now their father. He is now their God. And, and as Jesus returns to the father, he will be present with them in a new and powerful way. And this message will also turn the disciples' grief into joy and their doubt into faith and their disappointment into renewed hope. And the same message that Jesus gave Mary to share with the disciples, it is the same message that he gives to us to share with the world. Jesus sends us with, with this good news to share with, with those around us who are grieving, who are disappointed, who are, are doubting, those who are hopeless. That good news is that because of the resurrection, Jesus is a living person who wants to encounter us in a personal way and that now we can have a restored relationship with the Father, that he can be our Father, he can be their Father who is with us and for us. So those of us who have received this good news get to do what Mary did when we read in that final verse, verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Who is he sending you to with that good news? As we close, I want you just to, to hear this, to know that the risen Jesus is encountering you here today. Maybe you didn't realize it when you walked into this worship service this morning, when you walked into our Easter breakfast to enjoy some good food. But, but here's the truth. He is here. And he, through his word today, is speaking your name. And he is revealing himself to you. And he is proclaiming that because of his death and resurrection, God is now your father. He is your God. Jesus has taken all of your sin upon himself. He has paid for it in full. He has removed any barrier that could possibly exist between you and your heavenly father. And he promises to be with you until the end of the age as your living, risen Lord. So brothers and sisters, this is for you. Believe it. Trust it. He is for you. And let us then, in response, rejoice in his resurrection and go proclaim this good news to others who also need to hear it. That Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are risen indeed, that you are a living person who wants to encounter us today. We pray that those of us who are gathered here, Lord, that we will believe and trust that you are here, that you are encountering us and proclaiming this good news to us, that our sins are forgiven, that you have bridged the gap between us and the Father, and that you want to be with us always, that we can have that assurance, that knowledge that you are with us. And so help us, Lord, give us the gift of faith to believe this, to trust this, to hold on to it, even in the midst of our doubts, even in the midst of our grief to know that you are with us, that you are for us, because you are risen. In Jesus' name we pray.